You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Here we go. Episode 10, season two of Not Another Leafs podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. Ken Stapon joined by Brendan McCarthy. BMAC, the buds enter training camp today. Yes, sir. So media availabilities begin today, Sunday, Jan 3rd, and then training camp on ice sessions commence tomorrow. Uh, lots of question marks, lots of urgency, man. I mean, it's weird. It's weird to think this is year five for Matthews, Nylander, Hyman, Clock's ticking. I think the biggest thing for me, Ken, is uh, Frederick Anderson and Jack Campbell and sharing the load between the net. I think we're going to see a lot of that more, and I think it's going to come down to a 1A, 1B goalie tandem. I think that's one of the biggest stories that we've often touched on, touched upon coming into camp is the play of Frederick Anderson and the fact that regardless of his play in the regular season or how well he's played in the regular season to get to the Toronto into the postseason, he hasn't come up with that signature win in the postseason. In fact, he's often looked a little bit lackluster in the big elimination games, whether it's game seven against the Bruins, both those years, let's in a couple soft goals, can't really come up with a huge game when they needed it against Columbus. And there's going to be a lot of pressure on him moving into this season to get it done because it's not going to be judged based off what he can do in the regular season anymore, but whether or not they're going to be able to get past that first round of the playoffs in what's a contract year for the, for the Danish netminder. Right. And I think number two would, would, would be uh, the Leafs left shot defenseman depth. And, you know, we talked about Travis Dermott and that really cheap one-year deal just under 900 K, you know, it kind of got me thinking, is this really a ploy to expose Dermott to the Seattle expansion draft or is it a prove it year? And I really think that maybe Dubas and Maple Leafs brass are kind of just dangling this piece as, Hey, sure, show me what you got, but we're loaded on the left side with Riley and you know Sandine coming up in the system as well. It Jake might be Lazen. a potential. It might be a potential piece that gets exposed to the to the expansion draft. But I'm sure in Dermot's sake, he's arguably next to Jack Campbell, one of the most beloved players on that team. He wants to be a Leaf for life, but it's also the nature of the business. So that's an interesting piece too, as we as we head into training camp. Well, basically what it comes down to is if you think that Sandine is going to be able to contribute, perhaps not this year, but contribute in a third line or third pairing role coming into next season and how he develops in this season is going to determine Dermot's future, really. 
because as you had mentioned before, you got Morgan Riley and Jake Muzzin ahead on the left side of that defense. And you aren't necessarily just going to be able to keep these guys around for, you know, under a million bucks forever. So right. a prove it year for Dermot, big year for him. I would not be surprised at all if this player got dealt even before the expansion draft, because although Absolutely. you could dangle him, what franchise wouldn't take a shot on this guy if he has a decent year, can put it together, and then Toronto can maybe get some draft capital coming back the other way. It's a huge year for Travis Dermott and a huge year for the decor, which has been really shuffled shuffled up a little bit with the additions of Bogosian and Lettinen and you know Sandine, Lilligrand, what Justin Hall is going to be this year. A lot of questions on the back end and how can we forget the big free agent acquisition, TJ Brody, when how that top pairing is going to pan out now with him playing alongside Morgan Riley as the expectations for those two will be monumental as well. This is really a, a no excuse year. Remember too, Shanahan took over as president at the helm of, of this organization in 2014, seven years ago. And I'm sure at this point he's thinking, okay, I'd at least expect playoff round win. So, you know, it's, it's starting to get a little bit stir crazy. I'm sure for not only management, but players, but Maple Leafs brass management, they put everything in place. They've acquired significant additions and significant off-season pieces to further build this team into a Final Four contender, which I still truly believe they can get to that position this year. But this is, this is really interesting because, you know, people will surely deny it right away. But remember, Matthews, who is the franchise player of this team, has three years left on his contract. And if, if the ship is not steered in the right direction in this in this coming year or afterwards you got to think that there's a there's a chance that Matthews could be on his way out of Toronto and that was the imminent threat when he signed a five-year ticket rather than getting a seven-year ticket now similar to McDavid's term because now you have a much shorter term then you pretty much walk him right to unrestricted free agency it's been well documented that you know, he loves playing in Arizona and perhaps would consider going back there in free agency, depending on the state of that team. We simply don't know what he's going to do. Now, some playoff success in the next couple of years could be essential when you look at Matthew's future in Toronto and whether or not he considers re-signing, because this market can be one of the best in the league when you're winning. But if you're losing and you're in a position of John Tavares or Austin Matthews or Mitch Marner, then the media is going to chew you up and spit you out. And why would you want to stick around for that if you're a player of his caliber and you could go to a smaller market, still get paid the same amount of money and just kick it up with way less stress? Exactly. And again, a lot of dangling contracts right now are, that are not um, cemented for the long run. So right now that, that the roster that is intact, the training camp roster is going to be released today, Sunday, Jan 3rd. And it's going to be ultra competitive. Joe Thornton, it's going to be, huge for him to to hold these young guys accountable and and make sure that this isn't 2016-17 where everything we're doing right now is is completely exceeding expectations this is your fifth year in the league you're no longer a rookie fans are expecting much more and not just regular season success we've already talked about in depth what Thornton's going to mean to the bottom of this group i think he's going to be essential in solidifying the bottom six for the Toronto Maple Leafs and the rest of it's just kind of put it in a box and shake it up. Like one of those house salads you get from the local Italian restaurant, when you get it to go order, you don't know what it's going to look like. 
Like you get maybe you expect Mikhaev to pop in on the top top second on the second line, likely. Is that fair to say? Yep, absolutely. And then outside of that, it's like where it's like where's Spezza gonna fit? Where's VC gonna fit? Where's you know Barabanov gonna fit? Are you going to find a place for all these depth players or where are they going to scratch their way into the lineup? Alex Kerfoot, as there's a lot of conversation of Joe Thornton taking over the third line center position. Although personally, I think I'd prefer to see him in a fourth line center role, reduced role, second power play, but we'll see how it pans out. That's going to be a big story coming into this training camp is what the bottom two lines for the Maple Leafs are going to look like. There's two players that I'm watching coming into season more than anybody, anybody else in the roster. And that's uh, Morgan Riley, who we discussed before and John Tavares who I both thought had disappointing campaigns last year, albeit both of them were battling injuries. You know, it was never, they never really seemed to get settled in. We've often stated Riley playing with Cody CC and it's been well-documented that he was, uh, let's say not the, not a fan favorite playing for Toronto and Tavares, you know, he had the finger injury earlier on in the year and never seemed to get in his groove, never seemed to get comfortable and they were shuffling the lines a little bit you know, with Nylander who's playing with Marner and he never really seems to get in that groove that he was in two years ago when he how many goals did he score I believe it was 37 or 38 goals on the season he was just a very dynamic high. presence yeah yeah so was it was it 47 for JT yeah and his first yeah. year at the least 47 career high but for some reason I thought yeah for some reason I sold him 10 short. I, I, th- I thought it was 47, but I was like, no, he's like more of like a 40 goal guy, but he was never able to round into that form really last year for whatever reason. He just never looked comfortable. Obviously the shortened season didn't help the coaching change mid season helped the offense as a whole, but under Babcock at the beginning of the year, they didn't really have the freedom to express that type of play as they were trying to play a more defensive oriented style of game. Tavares and Riley are the two players for me who are circled on the depth chart as needing to see more out of them this season if Toronto's going to have success. And surprisingly too, Kenny, minus seven Tavares was last year. That's worst among Leafs forwards. So certainly a, a, a down year um, in terms of maybe just his presence production-wise, he was still putting up respectable numbers. But again, yeah, I'm, I'm focused in on, on Tavares as well. And I would say Matthews. I think he's on pace to have a 50-goal season. He was on the cusp of that last year before the shutdown. He was at 46-47. 50-goal prorated. And I think he's going to have an outstanding season. And this is, this is really a year for Matthews in, in the bulk of his contract now to really cement his, his impact on this team. And this is this is a huge huge year for for number thirty four. I would not be surprised at all to see Austin Matthews win the Rocket this year. That's how he was so close last year, just neck and neck with Ovechkin and Pasternak down the stretch. He's one of the top three goal scorers in the league at this point, and I expect him to only improve upon that as he continues to grow in his career and use his size and his physicality to dominate the opposition. For me, what I'm looking for out of Matthews now is to see him continue to grow the two-way game become that dominant center who can not only score against you and kill you on the offensive end of the ice but can also use that same size and physicality to shut you down and shut the other top players down on the defensive end of the ice as well and we've been seeing it the last several years the development of that style of game from austin matthews and i expect that to continue moving into the future uh behind the bench a couple different looks as well and this will be interesting to see how sheldon keith's team adapts to the new coaching staff because we mentioned before Paul McLean, the former Jack Norris winner in Ottawa 
And then in addition to that, our Jack Adams winner, I'm combining two trophies here, the Norris and the Adams, the former Jack Adams winner, rather, in Ottawa. And then also Manny Mel Holtra, a power play specialist who comes over from the Canucks. So certainly that should help the Leafs improve upon what well, was one of the best power play units in the league last year. But you figure with the addition of Joe Thornton and the addition of Mal Holtra, that second unit should be much more efficient, boosting their ranking in the league even higher. I believe they were fifth last year overall. One last player I'd like to kind of delve into as well is Zach Hyman. Remember, he's got one more year left on his contract. A pretty pretty cheap contract. A lot of a lot of teams are going to express a ton of interest. You're giving him the snip? You're giving me the snip gesture right now? I'm giving you the snip gesture right now. I don't think the Toronto, there's any way that they're going to be afford, afford to keep this but, guy. But, okay, so who else on, on the Leafs really exemplifies that grit, sandpaper, physical game? Other than I like love, Jake Muzzin up, up front. There's no forward. who really does that. I guess Wayne Simmons, no, but I love Zach Hyman. I would love to see him play his whole career in Toronto. I just don't think the cap situation is going to allow them to sign him. He's going to be due for a raise. And oftentimes players of Hyman's caliber get overpaid for their production in free agency. You look at his production playing on that top line. Obviously you're going to get inflated statistics playing with Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews, which is going to drive up your price in free agency. If he ends up going and signing a contract for, you know, 5.5 million or something in Arizona, and then he's playing on the top line with, you know, who knows, you know, who the hell knows, you know, with that team, then his numbers aren't going to look as good. And I don't think that Toronto is going to be able to aggressively pursue him in free agency at the price point that he's going to be looking for after how productive he's been on the offensive end over the past several seasons as he's going to be asking for. So I, I just don't like, although I love the player, I don't see any way that Hyman is back in the blue and white, unless he takes a significant hometown discount. And why would he do that heading into what's going to be the biggest payday of his career? Well, I mean, they, they were both Hyman and, and Anderson who are both in contract years were asked about the future as a Maple Leaf. And Hyman grew up in Etobicoke. Why not? Why not take a bit of a haircut? Sure, he probably could get 5 million range across the league at other, other, in other cities and other markets. But, you know, the, the Leafs would, would lack significantly that physical aspect up front that Hyman brings. I don't really give a crap about his production and who he plays with because there's a, a, a slew full of, of skillful guys on the Leafs. In his response to being in a contract year, he was just glowing about Toronto, clearly loves it, wants to stay, yada, yada, yada. Meantime, Anderson was just like, whatever happens, happens, short and sweet. So Anderson couldn't care less. And he's sniffing around for more money as well. I still think they would have a small chance to to obtain Hyman for a, a, a few more years on a short-term deal. I, I hope that you're right. I think that he, like you, as you said, it doesn't matter who he plays with in Toronto. The point is, is that when he's playing in Toronto with top tier talent, his numbers are going to get inflated. And then inflated numbers mean a bigger number in free agency. I love Hyman. I hope that he stays with the team. I think he plays a certain style of play that not many of the Toronto forwards can emulate. Like nobody goes into the corners and wins loose puck battles as much as Zach Hyman on Toronto. So I certainly hope that they can maintain his position on the roster, but I would not be surprised at all if he garners a bigger number in free agency and then ends up moving on after this season. If Toronto can't offer him at least a little bit of a pay raise moving into his free agent period. All right, let's go to around the league. 
right around the league our new segments where we fire off stories from the rest of the nhl pretty quick reaction here uh jared spurgeon named captain of the minnesota wild what's your reaction to the new minnesota captain i had to pick somebody <laughs> that's so disrespectful i feel like he's been he's been the, the wild as far as i can remember i believe his first year was 2010 2011 season and you know at 31 years old this guy is clearly one of the most dynamic players on the back end sort of epitomizes what the minnesota wild would like to be as a franchise as an organization obviously moving on from their longtime tenured captain miko koivu who is i believe is now in columbus after this offseason I love this move for the Minnesota Wilds. Just get it over with. There's no conversation about it. He knows the room. He knows the players in there. Obviously, Billy Guerin has a lot of faith in him as a player to wear the C. I love this move for Minnesota. The mini Wild ha- haven't really been a threat since since ever. And you kind of feel bad for Jared, <laughs> Jared Spurgeon because any other team, like just salivating at a right shot defenseman, you know, I know he's only 5'9", but... I mean, yeah, you, think I of, I... you think of Jared Spurgeon on like a Vegas or like a St. Louis team, like it would, it would just, his, his production would just absolutely skyrocket. But unfortunately he's got to anchor a, a Minnesota wild team, but congrats to Spurgeon on being anointed to see in Minnesota. It's, it's well-deserved. And he's been in that, been in that organization for a decade, I guess. Right. Yeah. Since 2010, 2011, um, another younger defenseman signing a big ticket, uh, John Marino in Pittsburgh, a six year extension with the pens at 4.4 million uh, average annual value. I love this contract from Jimmy Rutherford as Marino is, was I believe fourth in scoring by a rookie defenseman last season. So, so, so tons of upside for this player, uh, probably a little bit of an overpayment in the short term, but you got to feel that, you know, year four five and six of this deal are going to look really good for the Pittsburgh Penguins. And perhaps um, he can be a player that could take over for the likes of Chris Letang as he starts to end head into the tail end of his career. And it's been well-documented the injury troubles he's had staying on the ice. Marino, I love this. I love this price point. I love the term. I love everything about this deal from the Pens. It's great. I mean, I think it's, it's a good deal for, for a depth defenseman. And like you said, Letang's been with Pittsburgh for a very long time and, they want to start getting pieces on on you know shorter term affordable deals that can perhaps fill the void of of top tier defensemen. But I think it's a not a not a huge thing to delve into. But I'm I'm just glad that Marino has at least some sort of security with with the Pens. And they still got CC too. They got a lot of patchwork deals on the on the back end. But, <laughs> well, uh, but Marino is just a rookie though. He was just a rookie last year, so right. tons of room to develop. And I believe. Yeah, so I I love I love this signing from Rutherford. Sign your sign your young core that you believe in to longer term at a little bit lower AAV, and it helps you certainly down the road when you don't have to negotiate. You know, when after he has a fifty or sixty point season in year three, uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning say that there's are going to be no restrictions on Steven Stamkos entering training camp. Now, Stamkos notably played only two minutes and forty seven seconds of the Lightning's Cup run, albeit he scored a goal in those three minutes or less than three minutes they played good news for the lightning that Stamkos is back and healthy, given the fact that they're one of their other star players, Nikita Kucherov is going to be missing the majority of the regular season and perhaps will be ready for the playoffs. Still an unbelievable story from the playoffs in the bubble when Stamkos comes back for like a two minute shift and goes top shelf. I mean, he is still 
just an absolute presence on that team. And finally he has a chip to, to walk the walk and talk the talk and never know, man, maybe he's sniffing around at a, at a return to Toronto one of these days to wrap up his career and, and uh, play alongside John Tavares. Imagine that, or is that just wishful thinking? Didn't they play on the same team when they were younger? Yes. I think like I the believe they Markham play, yeah, Waxers I, I, or something. Something like that. Well, I remember GTHL. there being a picture floating around. Yeah, I remember there being a picture floating Subin. around of like yeah. Tavares and Stamkos and like all these other guys who ended up being bona fide NHLers when they were kids. It's like, can you imagine playing that team in the tournament? I believe they only lost one game all year and it was in a shootout because John Tavares missed on a breakaway. That makes sense. Or like that he shot it over the net one. or something. Yeah. <laughs> pulled a Brad Marchand. He couldn't carry the puck from, from center ice. Yeah, everybody's pulled that. Zdeno uh, so Chara, the report's coming out now that he actually went to the Capitals, not because the Bruins didn't offer to extend him a year, but they actually wanted him to play a substantially reduced role for the franchise. And that for Chara was not acceptable because he still felt like he has a lot of gas in the tank and can contribute bigger minutes to a contending franchise. What do you make of Chara's statements to the media confirming that he left Boston because they wanted to reduce his role? Well, he's disappointed because he still feels that he's physically able to compete at a high level with these younger guys. But again, that's the cutthroat NHL business, right? It's, hey, you know what? We're, we're moving on here with our younger, well-rounded decor and, and younger players. And it was a respectful thank you for all you've done, but we're moving on. And sure, it's it's a little bitter pill to swallow for Zidane Ocharo, considering how much he meant to that market and that organization and the city of Boston. But yeah, it's going to take a while for, for everybody to wrap their heads around Zidane Ocharo playing with Alexander Ovechkin in a Washington Capitals uniform. But it's going to be it's going to be kind of fun to see if maybe the Caps can propel themselves to another a cup run. I think their window is still open. Yeah. Also, there's a confirmation about what we were talking about last week. Chara actually confirmed that he spoke to Tom Brady prior to making the move. So a couple Boston goats in uh, in conversation about the potential move to a different franchise for the tail end of their careers. So wonder what the what Tommy told him. Probably. When it's time to go, it's time to go and go prove them wrong. Kenny, I'm not going to lie. When you, like the John Marino contract, you, like I didn't even take a look at the deal. That is, that is preposterous. I thought it was, I thought it was a <laughs> short deal. Like it was on, Buddy, it, was, I said it was on a whim. Years. It was on a whim. <laughs> six I years, 4.4. I, I missed that. I, I, I got away from the numbers and yeah, I think that's a, a little, a little hefty for six years, but yeah, I'm just looking at his hockey DB now, 20, 26 points, six goals, 20 assists. Kind of a little too much term for me, but hey, we'll we'll agree to disagree on that. Well, basically, Rutherford's looking since we're going back to this now that you've looked at, <laughs> you've looked up the actual numbers on the deal. Well, I said I short term. That, I'm like, wait a minute, six years is not short term. No, four point four, like four point four AAV for six years. I think you might lose on your one or two of that deal, but then I think your three through six are probably going to look pretty good because if he's a serviceable NHL defenseman, then that's a fair price point for him, and if he exceeds those expectations, which obviously Rutherford thinks he can grow into that role, then that's just going to be an absolute steal for the pens. All right, hey, let's we'll go to the, uh, the tweet of the day. We'll have the iceberg boys on the pod to. Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm down for that. Uh, who, who do you got for the tweet of the day, B Mac? 
So this was Saturday. So this weekend, but LeBron James calling out Dabo Sweeney after Ohio State knocked off Clemson. And there was all this room or not rumors. There was all this tweet and talk swirling around of how Ohio State is, is shouldn't be ranked 11th. They should be higher. And then Justin Fields comes out and just throws an absolute gem. Throws a gem. So I'm in, I'm, talking, I'm thinking baseball terms right now. He had an outstanding day and it was kind of funny to LeBron James for LeBron James to kind of call out Dabo Sweeney and be like, Hey, Ohio state Buckeyes are for, are for real. Did you see that tweet from Bron? Hey, listen, I, I didn't see it, but it's Big not Buckeye surprising guy. to me. Ohio state. I, how many games did they play this year? I feel like they only played five or six games due to, you know, the big 10 playing in conference only. And then yeah. there was a ton of games that got canceled because of Corona. So nobody really knew like how good Ohio state was, or if they were just getting ranked that highly because they're Ohio state, which is yeah. kind of when you look at the opposite side of the coin, Notre Dame makes it into the national championship playoff. And then they get basically just waxed by Alabama. And on the other side, Ohio state is able to just dismantle Clemson pretty easily. So now Alabama and Ohio state in the championship game and LeBron's never afraid to share his mind. Well, about, uh, Let's this not forget. Is, also, this is where he's from, right? His home state of Ohio. That's right. That's right. That's this is what the tweet read. I'm looking forward to seeing what Dabo answer is when they ask him if he still think Ohio State FB is the 11th best team in the country. That'd be LeBron. That'd be LeBron. Defender home state. All right. My tweet is uh, coming from Ray Ferraro. It was yesterday during the quarterfinal matchups of the double IHF world juniors. Basically what happened was Ferraro was throwing some praise out for the German team who was playing a much more talented Russian team. You know, it was two to one in the third period. Germany was putting on a, like a fair amount of pressure. They hit, hit I believe a crossbar, they yeah. hit a post. So they're just turning and burning and really impressing everybody that was watching the game. I was impressed by the Germany's play. I didn't actually get to watch the entire game because I was at work, but I was sort of tuning in, tuning out. And I was like, man, this is a lot closer than I thought it was going to be. So Ray Ferraro basically praises Germany saying, anybody who thinks they don't belong, just look at the way they're playing in the corner final. And then Damian Cox weighs in saying, what are you talking about? You know, it's, they, they had 12, 12 shots, shots or something. <laughs> and then Ferraro. Yeah. And then Ferraro says, actually Damian, they had 11 after the second period and hit a post and a crossbar in the third. Good try. It was two to one. Could you please enlighten me how the game could be closer? And of course, like hockey Twitter just blew up. Like Ferraro's tweet almost immediately had pretty close to 3,000 likes while Damian Cox had, you know, 22 or something. And then everybody was just piling on. He spelled Damian's name wrong. (laughs) Yeah. And then, of course, Damian retweeted and said, actually, it's Damian. And then he got ratioed in that Ah, tweet as well. So just an Damian Cox definitely. Yeah. He's definitely not not a fan favorite, but. I just loved Ferraro's response, just being so salty and defending was ultimately a German team who had a lot of pride to make it to the semifinals and gave Russia a run for their money. I would have thought that would have been a five, six goal game, but obviously Timmy's superstar and the Germans had different plans and a very impressive showing. They're well-deserving to earning a spot in next year's tournament. And heartbreaker once again for the Swedes. I, I was I was thinking that they are probably the Milwaukee Bucks of the World Juniors. They they do a lot of they do a lot of uh, barking, no biting, man. As Kendrick as Kendrick Perkins once said, it's a lot of talk, a lot of skill, a lot of you know records in the group stage. What was it 55, 56 preliminary round wins? 
And then they just choke in, in the knockout rounds. And they haven't won gold since 2012. I think you're onto something. They seem to always dominate in the group stage, like you said. Uh, what was it? Like you said, 55 wins, I think, like consecutively until they lost yeah. to Russia on the group stage this year. But they haven't been able to pull it together in the medal round. Like you said, the gold in 2012, they did win the silver in 2013, 2014, 2018, the bronze in 2020 in last year's tournament. But you would expect that a team who's been that dominant and in the qualifying stages would have won, won more gold medals. They basically won two gold medals at this tournament in the last 30 years, which is extreme, extremely depressing for a team that's just been able to dominate outside of the group stage. And a ton of or inside talent. the group stage, rather. Right. A ton of talent too. Lucas Raymond, Alex Holtz, both going in the top 10 respectively in last year's draft. I mean, a, a feisty team and it's always down to the wire with the Finns, but hey, hey your it, boy seems be, it seems to be a common thread that, uh, you know, t- uh, players that have ties to the Leafs organizations are showing up big when it counts. I was hoping you would go there because it was actually Ronnie Hirvonen Ronnie. who scored the game-winning goal for the Finns and like right at the tail end too. So what, there was yeah. 30 seconds left in the game. Yeah. So good job, Ronnie, making, those, making Kyle Dubas look good out there. Uh, also, like, I don't know if you saw this, but do you see, I, I'm going to mispronounce his name, but it's Elmer Soderblom's between the legs goal, the Detroit Red like Wings seven traffic. feet too. My goodness. Seven feet on like, skates. He just receives the puck on the corner of the net and then just casually puts it between his legs and just goes shelf. And he's done it twice. Goalie. He did it against the checks in the group stage. You know what we have? So casual. Seen, which I'm shocked. I actually predicted we'd see five Michigan style goals. There's been zero. I thought it's like one Swede or one, uh, at least like an American player would try, like Zegers or something, who's been out of this world dominant in this tournament. I feel like that's a hard one to pull off though. You need a lot of uh like you see a lot of in college hockey. I think there against was like three in last year's tournament. Yeah, I feel like against like certain defensemen, like certain defensive pairings, it's just like you don't want to try it necessarily. If it's there, like if you're coming behind the net and the puck is rolling and you can sort of just like, all right, it's a little bit easier. But it's not like something that you're gonna see all the time because generally if you try to pull that off, especially in an NHL game or in a tournament where there's higher quality defensemen. You're just going to get absolutely run over as you try to cross the goal line. So you got to have your chin up or it's that sweet chin music coming the other way uh, right as soon as you cross the goal line. So it's Finland 3-2 over Sweden, Russia 2-1 over Germany. The Canadians with a good win over Czech Republic, I thought, 3-0. The Czech team, notably with no first-round picks, and they've proven difficult to play against in this tournament. It's kind of like the akin to the older Lou Lamorello's Devils teams where they just gum up the neutral zone. They just play tight defensive style and then try to pursue you on the counterattack. The tight checking checks. It kind of reminded me of Jackets Leafs in the playing round last year in like game two or three because the second period was kind of uneventful. And then Connor McMichael, Ajax native, uh, cemented the win with an empty netter. Really, I've really been impressed with the Czechs and the Germans. I think they've really cemented themselves as a good dark horse threat for, for future tournaments, especially Germany. And as of Sunday, Jan 3rd, it's all going to change, but three Germans comprising the top five scoring leaders, Stutzla, uh, Paterka, and Elias. So three really good products from Germany, and they're going to be special to watch one day and still not even 20 years old. So remarkable. I feel like... 
I feel like for the German team, like they've sort of piggybacked on some really real top tier talent through this tournament. And that's been impressive. Like the top tier talent that they have has been ex- really exciting to watch. I'm going to be interested now to watch and see what else they have coming through the pipeline, because I don't know if they just are going to be pumping out first round picks out of Germany. It's kind of like you get one every once in a while. They obviously we saw what Leon Dreisiles turned into now, Tim Stutzla who certainly looks like he's going to be able to have a huge impact on the NHL level. I'd be a little bit more cautious looking at Germany, especially entering next year's tournament, because I'm not sure if they're going to have the same high-end, high-end talent on their top lines that's going to be able to help them push through to the qualifying round, especially depending on the groups. But the Czechs are always just one of these teams that they know how to play the game well. They know that when they're outmatched, how to just slow the game down and they make you play their style of game rather than the other way around. I thought at times it could be frustrating for the Canadians playing against a tight checking Czechoslovakian team, but they were able to gut it out, get a couple of quick goals. And that's the difficulty when you play a defensive style of game. If you go behind, then that's where you end up getting into trouble. And that's ultimately what ended up happening to the Czech Republic. They give up a pair of quick goals and then they were never really able to dig out because they aren't, they weren't able to change that mindset to get into a more of attacking mode rather than sitting back defensively. Right. And this, this win for Canada over the Czechs will be a good prelude for their semifinal game against Russia, because I firmly believe that the Czechs are just a one B team to Russia. Right. I mean, not as skillful, not as powerful, obviously not producing a lot of first round picks. I think there was one tie to an NHL or Lang, Robert Lang, who played like, 10 or 12 years in, in the NHL. But other than that, not, not many key pieces coming out of Czech Republic, but you know, there were times when I I think Canada kind of went into cruise control a little bit, not going to be able to do that against the Russians. Uh, And remember they won the lone pre tune-up game against the Russians one nil and Devin Levi and Dylan Cousins are going to be the two guys that carry team Canada forward. No Kirby doc. I don't believe Alex Newhook will be playing with, He's going to be out with an upper body injury. So Cousins and, and Levi are going to really spearhead this team if, if they want to have a chance at a gold medal. When I look at the way that Levi has been able to play for Canada in this tournament, it's been so impressive to me. And the main reason is because playing goaltender, especially at this tournament for the Canadians, is one of the hardest roles to ask any goaltender to come in and play. He was thrown into the fire, man. Well, you're thrown into the fire. It's against oftentimes top-tier talent. But oftentimes you're against sort of middle tier teams where the Canadians are dominant. So you can sometimes go, you know, eight minutes, 10 minutes, 12 minutes without seeing the puck in your zone. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're under siege. So I think for Levi in particular, I've been so impressed with his composure and that nice of him to get the shutout. And I expect him to continue to play at a high level against the Russians. I don't see any real cracks in his game. He seems to just be steadfast, even if he gives one up. It doesn't seem to affect him really. And that's going to be really important because against the high, highly talented Russian team that they're going to see tomorrow with some more Maple Leafs draft picks on it. And it'll be hard not to root for, be rooting for Amirov to get one Six against the Canadians, but I can probably Finn say, yeah. And speaking of the Finns on the other side of the bracket, they, they are going to get the USA now after the USA pretty convincing win five, two over Slovakia of the game. I was really surprised about that. And this will be one of the bigger tests for the USA in this tournament, because although Canada was able to handle Finland, they've proven that they can be just as big of a handful with their win over Sweden. 
So how about this stat line for Devin Levi? 29 save shutout last night. And then through the tournament, he has saved 87 of 90 shots. He's boasting a 0.64 goals against average, which is remarkable. And at 0.967 save percentage. So he has been their, their rock. Unreal. And they're going to need him to continue to be their rock because he has been fantastic in, in between the pipes for Team Canada. I'm still just looking at this guy. And I'm like, what a gem. Like, good job by the Canadian scouting department because I, he wasn't even playing at the highest level of major junior. And then all of a sudden he's coming in and slotting in for, you know, Team Canada in this tournament. It's been so impressive to watch and obviously a very bright career ahead for Devin Levi and expect that he'll get snapped up at the, at the earliest convenience by somebody after, after his performance in this tournament and hopefully looking forward to a, a very impressive CHL season moving into the future. Arguably one of the most thrilling tournaments, but the most reduced tournament. And it has everybody up on their feet for 10, 12 days, and then suddenly it's over. So we got today, an off day today, Jan 3rd, and then the semis begin Jan 4th, and it all wraps up Jan 5th. And then it's NHL hockey. I stand corrected as well. He's actually been snapped up already. These uh the Florida Panthers. Seventh round, rights. right? The Florida Panthers. Uh, let me see if it says if the which round. Uh, round. Yeah, it just says it just says the yeah seventh round of this year's draft. So, wow, good scouting department by the Panthers. Good job, Cats. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great pickup because you might if this if the draft were after this tournament, certainly he would have gotten in a much higher round. You if you figure third, fourth round pick at least, if Absolutely. not higher than that. He's come out and said he's received lots of uh, well wishes from Roberto Luongo, who now works in the brass of Florida Panthers management. So that would be nice, too, to get that extra little motivational bump. Incredible hockey to look forward to. Uh, the semifinals will go tomorrow. So it's uh, Canada versus Russia, USA versus Finland. I have the times in front of me right now, but yeah, some good B-Mac. hockey on a Monday afternoon. BMAC, what do you got on the docket for the rest of the weekend here? Week 17, baby. Inject it. Inject it into my veins. That's it. Which matchup are you watching in particular? Give me the Bills. Give me the Bills over the Finns. I still don't know if Josh Allen is starting. I'd imagine they'd want to rest him, but, you know, he's hot. So maybe they want to kind of cement his his MVP nod right now because it's still up for grabs. I think, though, it's uh, like if Pittsburgh loses, then wouldn't – like I could be incorrect about this, but I think if Pittsburgh loses, then the Bills would take over – Second their, in the AFC, yeah, yeah, their spot. I think there's so still might, some standing shuffle to be decided, so that's maybe why they will start Allen. Yeah, I think you got to roll with them. And like uh, Kansas City, I believe, has locked up the first seed, but if you have an opportunity to take over a better seed and then perhaps give you or put yourself in better position heading into the postseason, then you got to start your start your starters and just hope for the best. At this point, I would be surprised if the Bills didn't start Allen today, but. Exciting. Yeah, there's a lot of possibilities today. A lot of, uh, I was watching NFL Live this week and they were dragging around the board. If this team wins, if this team wins, if this team loses. And it seems like there's about 10 different scenarios Endless that we'll see scenarios. different. Yeah, that we'll see different teams in the playoffs this year, which is all you can ask for in week 17 of the NFL season. And let's not forget, they managed to pull it off in 17 weeks. Yes. I was so skeptical. NFL. Wow. Escaping unscathed. I was so skeptical of that. Yeah, un- un- unbelievable job from Roger Goodell and company.